Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay, and I hope you're doing well today. Today, I am very excited to be having on the podcast someone who I've worked with indirectly in some, some incredible music videos. Uh, this is a woman who's behind the biggest hits in the Jewish world from Yesh Chikva, Machar, Ivri Anochi, what, what? One of my faves, of course. Working with singers like Benny Freeman, Yaakov Shweki, Ari Goldwag, and Mordechai Shapiro. Her songs are not just poetic, but her way of being is too. I really enjoy this conversation with Miriam Israeli, which is filled with unheard behind-the-scenes stories of your favorite songs, tips on pursuing what you love most, and a powerful lessons in trusting the journey, and most of all, the one above. So without further ado, please sit back and relax and enjoy my podcast with Miriam Israeli. Feel free to uh, throw back any questions you have during this conversation. I want to make sure that you feel comfortable with be that it is a podcast and it's, it's meant to be a, a conversation. I, I really don't like it come, these things coming up as an interview. Uh, so if along the way and anything or, or want to go off topic, feel free to like, if you have a question for me or you want to post something or throw it back, it's, the floor is open. Okay. It's our show. Okay. Sure. So, so absolutely. It's something that um, I think is important, sort of perhaps like when, you know, well, I don't know. I was going to use the analogy of writing a song and perhaps that's, uh, I don't know if it's no longer yours anymore. Once the, once the artist takes it and makes it their own. And anyways, it's a combination of, of the two. Still mine. <laughs> it's still mine because I, because I'm a singer. So I, I also sing what I write. So yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I know this and we're going to yeah talk about that too. Um, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So here I am sitting with uh, Miriam Israeli. Miriam, how are you this morning? It's morning by you in Israel. It's night here. It's 12 o'clock in night, well, in the morning here. Monday night, Tuesday morning by you. How's it going? Right. It's 10, it's 10 a.m. and um, I'm glad to be here joining, uh, joining your, your audience. So glad that you're making the time to do so. I really appreciate it. Do you, it sounds quite quiet in the background by you right now. And for someone who has 11 children, um, that is, that's, that's quite impressive. How, what's your secret? What's going on right now? The secret is that you, know, you marry some off, you send some to school. However, there are the remnants of those who are still at home and probably uh, someone's going to pop up uh, you know, in a couple of minutes. I hear somebody waking up. Uh, <laughs> Out of the 11, two are home right now. So, uh, wow. But some are married and, you know, some are, you know, they're, they're, they're scattered. Incredible. So you, you found this, this like little pocket of time. I know we're, we were arranging this and, um, the time difference, you're like, okay, these hours will work. And this is the time, this is the pocket of time that I could give you. And, uh, and so far so great. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. I hope it will work. I was hoping nobody would be here, but uh, we couldn't quite arrange that. That's incredible. With, I mean, with, yeah. well, before I jump into the whole like productivity of how 11 kids doing, doing the, having the career that you have, um, was having a big family something important to you growing up and while you were dating? Was that something you was like, hey, I want to, whoever I marry, I want them to know I want a big, big family? Um, it, it wasn't something I ever thought about. It was just, you know, it was one of those things that I, you know, I just let happen the way it happened, um, the way Hakadosh um, intended for me, and it, it was um, it was a blessing more than I could have possibly known because my my sixth child um, had a, um, a a childhood illness, which it's called JRA, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is generally, you know, it, it usually passes. You know, when once uh, the child gets older, it's adulthood, specifically the, the type that he had, which was the systemic kind. Um, but in his case, it's, uh, it proved fatal. And he passed away when he was almost seven. And, um, and I, it was just such a blessing that I, I, was, I had children, you know, younger than him. I, I actually, I had a baby three months after he passed away. And um, I remember when I... You know, when I became pregnant, I was like, how am I going to do this, take care of a sick child? And, 
and have a baby. And, and then when he passed away, I remember thinking, wow, that is such a shkacha, you know, that, you know, that I, I have another child and, you know, there are five children after him. And, and it was, it was just the healing, you know, came, came through that. So, you know, I kind of let well enough alone with that, whatever happened, happened, but I, I realized it was, it was really a blessing, um, an unbelievably, uh, unbelievably powerful blessing for me. Wow, that's 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 incredible to um, thank you for sharing that and um, to be to be able to go through that and yet uh, to see a blessing in what seems like to be one of, one of the most heart wrenching events one could go through. Um, that is, do you find yourself? Well, there are there are blessings in everything. That's really what I write about. You know, if you go through my songs, <laughs> um, and I, I think one of the reasons that uh, that you know, aside that, you know, everything is just like, you know, everything is, is, is a gift and a blessing from heaven and the of the Shemaya. So, you know, writing hit songs is also one of those blessings. But part of it, I think, is that, that I, the reason what I write resonates um, with the population is that it, it's not, you know, just it's, just, it's not just words. It's, I've, you know, I've been through the ringer and, and, and yet I do see, you know, in, in Yiddish, we have an expression, we're Hasidish, we're Tams, so we know Yiddish. Um, uh-huh. So uh, there's an expression, uh, that Hashem doesn't hit, doesn't patch with, with, with both hands. So even though you might be getting a, a, a blow or something difficult to deal with, you know, on one hand, there will always be blessings and, and gifts that will help you get through it. And, and that's really what I write about. And it's real because, because I've been through it. And although people may not know, you know, people who are listening to this interview will know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people won't know, but I think that something still is there and it's kind of truth that um, people can feel and connect to. And, and most of us are, if I, I guess even all of us are going through difficult um, things in our lives. You know, we may not show it, other people may not know about it, but everyone's going through something. So I think when people hear those messages, everyone connects because in, in that sense, we really are all the same. We are going through difficulties. We are trying to strengthen our, our faith and, and, and not lose our joy in, in being alive and being Jewish. And, um, and I think that the songs help people do that. Where do you draw your inspiration from? How do you keep your, this focus, this, this um, ideology, this way of being? How do you feel yourself and remind yourself that this is this is a truth to live by? Well, first of all, having you know, growing grown up FFB, you know, from, from birth and, <laughs> and, and being inculcated with that, you know, and I think the main source of inspiration is, you know, of course, there's school and the stuff that we learned, and it definitely has an effect. But I think the main source of that is my parents um, who are the living embodiment of, of, of bitachon, of trust in Hashem. And, you know, it wasn't something they talked about. It, it was just, it, it was just there. Um, and no matter what happened, it was something that we, that we knew. Uh, my father, Rashad, passed away a year and a half ago. A lot of people knew him. His name was um, Isaac Wolf, Itcha Wolf. Um, he was a well-known uh, philanthropist when he had when he had what to give, <laughs> um, he gave it all away. Ups and downs, and he basically gave it all away. Yeah, I have to say that he gave it all away. Um, so, um, but you know, no matter you know what the situation was in life, whether we had, we had, we didn't have. Um, we moved to Israel because we wanted to make Aliyah, but we had to move back because of my father's business, and everything was always good, you know. And when my father would discuss what they, you know, the his financial state, but his you know money or lack thereof. Um, he would say, you know, he, he would say Yiddish, Hashem is my banker. <laughs> Hashem holds my money for me. So like when he gives, he gives, when he doesn't give, he doesn't give, but like, there's nothing to do with me. I have a banker. And, mm. uh, we grew up with that. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And to, to move to a, to a, this, a similar question, but now to more of the music aspect of it. Who was someone in the music world that was or is an inspiration for you? Well, I would divide music into into two. You know, there is a, there is composition, and then there is and then there is writing. 
Um, so as far as composing music, which I, I don't really do so much of now, um, unless I'm, I'm working with, uh, with, with females, <laughs> um, because I, I don't play and I, I don't really have any normal way of presenting a, a demo of my compositions. You know, I, I have composed many songs, probably the most well-known is Ima Tagidili, which is a song about um, Shabbat candlelighting, which um, actually Chabad has used for some of their videos. Is it Shabbat? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, it's true. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up on this. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well, it's, you know, going to be 31 years since I wrote it. So, yeah, it's a while. <laughs> um, wow. So when I'm talking about composition, what my inspiration is, I don't know, it's hard to say because I don't really know. I mean, I grew up listening to whatever Jewish music was available, and there wasn't much. There was um, uh, there were some of the Pirches. There was London Pirche. I listened to a lot. There was Toronto Pirche, uh, and there was Six Thirteen Torah Avenue. <laughs> you know, basically, <laughs> basically what there was. And I do believe that in the beginning, that influenced my my compositions. Like in the beginning, I was doing Pirche style songs. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, I heard maybe, I don't know, maybe a little bit of Disney, a little bit of, you know, A.B. Rothenberg. So I think A.B. Rothenberg could be, could be a, an influence because in his music, I heard a lot of different styles, which I hadn't really been, you know, I didn't really know. But let's say country uh, was introduced to me via that because I'd never heard real country music. Mm. Um, and later on, I heard maybe a little bit of Israeli music, like old old Israeli music, which also had an influence. Um, that's basically when it comes to composition. As far as lyrics, I don't know. I think I pretty much had my own style. Although today, when I write for singers, because they may want to you know, go in a certain direction, they'll, they'll reference me like to a song that exists. Uh, you know, one of the examples is, I mean, my style is more like poetic and, and literate. Uh, and when I wrote, uh, uh, co-wrote Yesh Tikva with Ari Goldway, the first draft was uh, uh, too sophisticated uh, for them. They wanted something, you know, more like in your face. So they referred me to Misha Ma'amin Lo Mefached. And then I kind of, I said, okay, I got, I, I got it. So then I, you know, went, went in that direction. But my original style is more poetic and, and literate, more of, if we're talking about an English example, um, more of like the Zakani, that's more my style of writing rather than the in your face or slangy or, you know, very like punchy kind of things. That's amazing. Do you, do you take it personal? Do you feel like, ah, you know, come on, you know, when, when a, when a, when a client, AKA a singer wants you to like maybe dumb it down, quote unquote, or to like be a bit more straightforward with the lyrics, do you feel like, ah, you're missing the point? Or do you like, okay, listen, it's a job. You, and you sort of separate yourself from, from the gig. Yeah, that's what I did. I, I separate myself from, uh, from the gig. And you know, also because like when I first wrote Yeshtika, I remember, you know, reading over the lyrics after and saying, I mean, because I know Hebrew, right? So living in Israel for, you know, over 30 years, mm-hmm. I felt like, uh, wow, you know, this is kindergarten level Hebrew. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but then, but then I realized, you know, over time that, you know, the, the main thing is really to touch people's hearts and, and this works and it touches people's hearts and it connects them to, you know, to the best part of themselves and, um, and to each other and to Hakkash Baruch So, you know, you know, there's two parts. First of all, yes, it's a job, you know, so I got to do that. And, and I don't feel like I'm accomplishing less in terms of what I want my songs to accomplish. So, so I'm good with that. Is there a song that you wrote that you, you were surprised by how well it did once once it was out there in the world? Well, Yeshtikva <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, no idea. I, I wasn't I wasn't writing for singers at all yet. Though that was basically the first. So, and I remember when I heard it the first time. So it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a fun song. The teenagers will like it. It'll be here today, gone tomorrow. And I was. I was totally, you know, blown away, you know, by its success. And, you know, another example is Mom and Benny Sim, which I had written just one day. I had written the lyrics out of the blue. It kind of came to me. And I had sent it to a friend of mine who was a singer and a musician. I said, what do you think of this? She said, yeah, this could be something good. And then it just sat there for a year and a half. Wow. 
uh, because I, I didn't know what to do with it. But after I had written Yeshtikva and then subsequently uh, Zehakatan for, I mean, Yeshtikva for Benny Friedman and subsequently Zehakatan for Yaakov Shweki, I felt like, okay, I know people. And I sent an imam in to, to Yaakov Shweki who picked it up immediately. Um, and then also I was, I was totally blown away by this, you know, by the, by the effect that it had. And I'm still blown away because I, I still see it happening. That's amazing. I, I do have a follow-up question with the Yeshikva. How did it, besides introducing you to Benny and, and, and creating a, a larger circle in the, in the Jewish music world, how did that, and if it did, change your life in a very real way? How did, you, how did the success of Yeshikva change your life in a major way? The success of Yeshikva definitely did change my life. Um, and I'll tell you the story leading up to it because it's, it's an incredible set of circumstances. Please do. Um, I, I've, I've been writing songs since I'm 14. I, I always loved music. I, I didn't play. I wanted, I wanted piano lessons, but somehow I never, never got them. So I just spent hours and hours listening to music as a child. And when I was 14, I began composing because I came across to two girls in, in my school who were singing a song. One of them said she had composed it, which was an epiphany for me. Until then, you know, songs appeared on albums. And I was fascinated by the stories of the composers, especially if they were young. Uh, you know, the record flaps of, of London Pirche and the Toronto Pirche both had like uh, a caption about young composers and I would read those again and again as a 10-year-old child. Uh, the, the composer, by the way, on the Toronto Pirche, uh, there was a picture of him. He was a buffer, he was about 16. Uh, his name was Rafmil Bagan. <laughs> so, the, the legend himself. Um, yeah, you know, he wasn't Rafmil Bagan then yet. He was just a boy, you know, I would read about that, had, you know, made up a bunch of songs. Wow. Anyway, so when I was 14, I had this kind of subconscious epiphany uh, that if a girl in my school could uh, compose uh, songs, then so could I. And I began that year. And I had been doing it for many, many years. And it was, in the beginning, it was very frustrating because I had no outlet at all, you know, for, for, for my music. I, I couldn't even record my music until I was, you know, 17 and I finally had a little, you know, little tape recorder. So then it was just to record it in my head, repeat it to myself 200 times so I can remember it. Wow, that's insane. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, so that was, but that was kind of frustrating, but I, for some odd reason, I, I, I kept at it. Yeah. I have no rational explanation for why I did. Um, and it wasn't until I, I got out of high school that my songs began to get out there, uh, you know, a little bit in the schools that my, my sisters were doing a, a, a show. So they took it, you know, it started by word of mouth. And were you supported, um, were you supported by your parents, um, to, to continue this pursuit around, around this? I, I don't, they weren't, I don't, they weren't really part of it. They, you know, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't something I really talked about. It wasn't something I realized, uh, you know, the power behind it. And, and, and I felt the passion, you know, but I didn't, I was too young and too unaware of, of, of the fact that I, you know, there was real music. I, I, I didn't even I didn't even trust myself or have the confidence that what I was doing had really had much merit. It kind of felt like, well, anyone who wants to write a song can really do it. So I'm doing it. Maybe other people aren't, but anybody could really do it. So it's not a big deal, you know? Uh-huh. Right. Um, you didn't realize then, how, you didn't realize the gift that you really had at this time. No, no, no. I felt the passion. I felt the drive to the extent that it was almost painful. To, you know, but um, that I, if I you didn't, if you didn't wasn't. put it out there, it would it would mamish hurt. Like if you painful in the sense Not of how. I had to no painful in the sense that I had to do this. Okay, I had to make music. I I, I I had to. I waited for the inspiration. It was like if you know, it was like painful to wait for the inspiration because I wanted to do another song, and, and and there was no earthly reason. There was no logical reason to do it because nobody was singing my songs. You know, they didn't exist anywhere except in my head. Um, so, you know, and it took many, many years, like even after I already started like working in the studio, I was working with, um, Jeff Horvitz for many years, um, here in, um, in Israel. And I would always feel like, well, I'm this, you know, I'm this little girl pretending to be a musician along with all these real musicians, you know, they're the real people. And I'm just pretending that imposter syndrome that, that went with, yeah, that went along with me for many, many years. Like it wasn't until I had. I still feel a little bit like that, but I just have so much under my belt that I look at it and I say, okay, 
I guess I'm not, you know, we, I'm not an imposter. We know you're the real deal, deal if, you're, if you're dealing with such, <laughs> if these such, such doubts. I think in any, you know, artist goes through these, these uh, steps of, and, uh, and it's, it's pretty awesome that you didn't allow that to, to stop you from pursuing. Yeah, anyway, so it, going, through, you know, going through that, I was writing songs and I wanted to do something with them and here and there wasn't enough for me. So I decided that I would, um, I'd open a choir uh, since um, I'm involved in music and I, you know, I, I like to sing and I had done choirs in, 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 in my youth, uh, in school and camp. I decided I would open my own choir here. You know, girls finish school early and they go to these after school programs called Chugim. So I decided I would open a Chug and, um, and there I was the boss and everyone would sing my songs because I'm the boss, which is what I did. And the choir grew from seven girls to over a hundred over a period of, you know, 15 years or so we had expanded we were performing all over the country and of course we were singing my songs um and you know and and that was that was really amazing somewhere along the line of course it wasn't enough because this passion that drives you somehow is always looking for more um i wanted to share my music you know i wanted to 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 break the boundaries and and, and share further so i did i wanted to um put out an album with my songs that would be able to go places where my choir wasn't going I myself was not singing uh, as a soloist uh, at the time. It hadn't occurred to me that I would do that even. Uh, I wanted to put out an album and it was going to be with girls, of course. So I wanted to make sure that that would be halakhically acceptable to everyone, you know, everyone on the religious spectrum. Um, so I decided that I would ask Rebel Yashiv, who was at that time, you know, considered one of the poskim of the generation, uh, you know, widely accepted, Sfardi Ashkenazi, Lisbish Hasidish, um, so he, he didn't actually, he didn't give me an answer to my question about putting out a, a women's album. Um, he referred me to the basin of Ravosner. And the basin of Ravosner, um, after asking several questions, gave me a negative response. Where, me not to do what album. were some of those questions? Do you remember? Um, I remember they asked, would it be, uh, you know, there's a lot of these women's, uh, uh, uh at that time it was cassette tapes, you know, there was, uh, that are played in the in the kindergartens and the ganim. So they asked me if it would be for the ganim. I remember that question, and I said no. It would be available to the general public in stores, and and uh, I got a no. So you know, if you if you you know if you tell a woman no, you know, at first you don't succeed. You know, <laughs> argue. <laughs> so I argued, <laughs> and I um I said, but it'll say that it's for women only. And the the you know the rev on the on the phone was very patient. He, Went back to the basin, came back to me, and he said, uh, the Rav said, Parnasa beheter velo beiser. You know, you should have your, you know, you should make your, uh, um, your Parnasa through something that is allowed and not forbidden. And I kind of just, I, I didn't really know what to say to that, so... Was that, okay. was that frustrating? I mean, because was there anything, did you feel like anything was really, you know, wrong with what you were trying to do? Like, what... How did you, how were you able to make sense of what you were getting back, that, that answer? So in the beginning, I didn't really try to make sense of it. I mean, growing up, especially Hasidish, like you grow up with the feeling that if, if a rabbi, that is a rabbi, that is accepted by, you know, generally by, 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 by the Jewish nation, gives a verdict. If you ask that rabbi, and, and we know that there are different verdicts. I mean, you know, the, the different piske halacha, we're, we're aware of that. But if the rabbi that I asked gave this verdict, then, then, then that's how it is. And, and we can accept without necessarily understanding this because, you know, the same way sometimes a child has to accept what a parent says, even though he may not understand because the parent said, and we as the parents, we know why, why we, we know why we said what we said and we know that it, that's the right thing for the child. So I didn't have a problem with accepting per se. It, it, was, it was a disappointment, but there was no question in my mind. Um, I did go back years later because I was interested in the reasoning because I know that there are very different, uh, you know, opinions as to as to what you're allowed to and what you're not allowed to do and whose responsibility is it? Is it the women who are putting out the album or is it the responsibility of the men not to listen to something that they're not supposed to? What's the answer um, to that? I'm curious to know. So I went back years later to ask what the reasoning was uh -huh. and, and the answer I received is that is it's not against it's not against Jewish law per se, but is against the concept of what's called das yehudis, das yehudis, whatever, it, which is basically like 
um, the essence of the Jewish woman. The essence of the Jewish woman is a certain smooth, a certain privacy. Where we draw that line, I think, is, is not black and white. But the concept is universal uh, for, 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 all, for all Jewish women. To some extent, I think for all women, even not Jewish, there is something, there is a certain point where, you know, there's like a sign, a virtual sign that says women only, you know, mm. in, and again, even in, even in secular society, sometimes women say, well, now it's, it's women only. Um, and especially in, 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 in Jewish society and in, 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 in Yiddishkeit and Judaism, that is something that is, that is very, very relevant because there is the concept of, of smooth. So again, where you draw the line is something that you work out, you know, according to where you are in society, um, where, who your rabbi is, um, but yeah, but that was the answer. So that's, as far as the, the, the issue with it, it's more of an issue of the essence of a Jewish woman and, and the privacy and the modesty of a Jewish woman rather than an issue of dry, you know, cut and dry halacha. Mm-hmm. Got it. But at that time, I'm sure there were, there were uh, albums out there with, you know, just Kolisha or women, just for women only. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there, were, it, there were. There were. There were. So, I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. even more frustrating because this was out there and here you're getting a no. Did you try to think of reaching out to those artists and say, hey, who's, who's your rabbi? Let me know. Would you get the okay from? No. No, again, because right. again, because I come from this background. That when, you have, right. when you ask, sure. the, answer, the answer is binding. Um, and, and again, I, I grew up with that. Uh, you know, we, we would ask our rabbi various questions and whatever, whatever he said, uh, that was law. That was the equivalent of, of you know, it, in bygone days when, when, when Jews came to, 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 to the Beit HaMikdash and asked the Sanhedrin or whoever, or, or when Jews came to the Kohen and, and he would ask the Urim Batomim and he would give an answer. And that was, that was our, our, our channel, our conduits to Hashem, because we can't really look up at heaven and say, hey, you, you up there, you know, what, what are you telling us to do? So we have those, those you know, who are his representatives um, by the, you know, the spiritual stature that they have grown into, they have worked for in their, in their, in their, in their, in their day-to-day conduct, in their the study of Torah, and they are qualified to give those answers, just like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't question a doctor who gave me medical instruction. Sure. He studied medicine for all those years. I didn't. So, you know, the doctor is my, you know, in charge of my, my physical well-being and my rabbi is in charge of my spiritual well-being mm-hmm. and sure. the spiritual well-being of the nation. And the fact that other people got different answers, that's okay. We believe, we believe that it, it isn't black and white and there are different answers. And, you know, again, coming back to Chabad, who, you know, talks about Sifos Hashem, the army of Hashem. You know, so we have the infantry and we have the navy and we have the, you know, we have the, 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 the whoever, whatever the different, you know, regiments in the, in the army and, and they get different instructions and that's yes. fine. Yes. So these were my instructions and I marched according to those instructions. So, uh, you, you, know, yeah, we're, you, you know, the point that I'm getting to. Yes, yes, here we go. We're on the way. Uh, yeah, we're on the way to yes, you know, and I, I, that's why sometimes I feel like if, okay, I'll, I'll say it at the end. Um, so I decided that I still wanted to do an album and I would do it with, uh, with male singers. Cause really what I wanted out there was my songs. I didn't care who sang them. I didn't need women singing them. And, um, and there was my father. You had asked about my parents and they supported me. So when I got into the field more actually, um, yeah, my parents supported me and my father, you know, tried to help me whenever he could. Um, when I was working on the, on, on the choir and I needed some sort of, we didn't have a, you know, computers and Cubase then. So I needed some sort of machine to, to help record my, my different um, vocal arrangements because we would do like three and four part harmonies and I, I needed a way to record that. So he brought me, he bought me this little, you know, mixer that had different tracks that I could mm-hmm. record onto. Um, he bought me, when I started singing myself, he bought me, um, you know, a little speaker and spotlights, you know, for small oh, events. That's beautiful. And he was the one who, yeah, he was the one who footed the bill for my first album um, because that was, of course, an investment. We did it at a very, very small scale, but even so, it was like about, you know, $15,000, which, you know, was... It's a lot of money. 20 years ago, it was, it was still money. It wasn't money I could, I could, you know, I could spend. My husband is, was and still is in Colel, so on a Colel budget, I couldn't really do that. Um, did he did, did did he know about this side to you before your husband when you were dating before you got married this 
this, this uh, it didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it was, was just, you know, I was, it was, it didn't exist. I was making a song, but it was, you know, it was something that was very, again, as I said, then it, it didn't really exist anywhere except in my head. Right. Um, you know, I, I was, I was a teacher. I had, you know, grown up in school knowing, knowing I want to be a teacher. And I, I was teaching and I continued teaching actually for many years after that um, while developing the music part of me. Uh, anyway, um, so we, we put out this album and, um, and uh, kind of that quieted the, the, the hunger for, for a while. But, but after a while, it, it was there again. And I said, oh, you know, there were only 11 songs on this album. Uh, I, I want to do another album. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, because I wanted to get out more songs, and I partnered this time with Jeff Horvitz. Um, and um, in my search for singers, you know, it was like a little bit like when you're looking for, you know, a shidduch, and you start saying, well, I, you know, I have a son, I have a daughter. Right. So I was speaking to one of the girls in my choir, and I said, oh, I'm doing an album, I'm looking for singers. She said, well, I have a cousin that used to sing in the Miami Boys Choir, uh, and maybe he, you could, he could sing for you. And this girl's name was Nomi Goldwag, so I guess you can all guess. Uh-huh. Who her cousin is? Yes, is Ari Goldwag. Ari. Um, yeah. So I contacted Ari. I said, "Hi, my name is Mermaid Israeli. I'm doing an album. Your cousin Nomi said that you know how to sing." And he sang three songs on, on my album. He also sings them on his own English collection. Um, so he made my acquaintance. And several years later, when he was approached um, um, to to write to uh, Tikva by I think it was Avi Newmark. Um, and Benny Friedman, he remembered that there's this woman who writes lyrics in Hebrew, if he knew that from my album, but speaks English, so that's convenient. And he, he contacted, me, contacted me, he had written part of the song and he was stuck uh, with the Hebrew. And um, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll help you do that. So that was it, I wrote Yesh Tikva. And, um, wow. and then that, that that you know that song for some reason basically created a revolution in the music industry and it, it was such a hit that that everyone wanted to start singing hebrew that wasn't so common then that every jewish singer was singing hebrew you were either singing you were singing mostly psukim and here and there you would sing an english song um anyway so yeshtikva was this huge hit and i was like knocked off my seat by the you know by, by that and as I mentioned, I had lacked confidence also to do anything. And also I had lacked, you know, you need to know someone. It's not what you know, it's who you know to some extent. Uh, so after that, I actually, I had the guts to approach uh, Yochi Briskman, uh, who produced my first album. That was how I knew him. Um, so I approached him and I said, well, I co-wrote Yeshtikva, so can I write a song for Yaakov Shweki? He was uh, Yaakov Shweki's producer at the time. And having Yeshtikva under my belt, he agreed to give that a try. And I wrote uh, the lyrics for uh, Zeha Katan uh, on the Kolot album. So I wrote the lyrics and then I was put in touch with Yitzhi Waldner, who did the melody. And, and that's where the ball really started rolling because Yitzhi has since referred, then has referred tens and tens and tens of, of uh, artists uh, and producers to me for, for lyrics. Um, we're a good team uh, with him being the uh, the song and, and, and me doing the lyrics, it kind of, it works. We, we mesh well, we understand, we understand each other. And um, I mean, I, I've worked with other composers as well and it, it's been great, but the bulk has been um, with Yitzhi Wolner and a lot of my work has come through him. So, um, you know, what I realized is that, you know, sometimes we're, we're faced with a, a dilemma in whatever field we're in about you know, choosing to do what's right versus choosing to do what we think will will get us further, will help us succeed. You know, so it seems like, uh, you know, what's right versus success. We need to choose one or the other. And we may not be seeing, we definitely aren't seeing the full picture. So I think whatever is right for each individual, I'm not saying everyone has to do exactly what I did, because it's not black and white, but we each have our own concept of somewhere our inner voice that tells us what's right and wrong and it we it may not be at the expense of success it, it may, not only that if we do what's right that may lead us to success that's what happened to me 
I thought I was limiting myself and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I wanted to record my choir and they were great. They really were. And had I done that, I would never have met Ari, would never have done my album, would never have written Yeshtikva, would never be where I am today. So what? that's basically, you know, that's the story. <laughs> That's, that's, that's tremendous. Um, incredible. Like you sort of rattling off different names and a lot of these names are quite well known in the, in the Jewish world. And you've, of course, there's so, there's quite a few other artists out there. One of which of course is my good friend, Mordechai Shapiro, who, who has uh, worked with you quite a few times and, and you, and your, and your words do ring true and your, and your message of, of course, not knowing you know, how perhaps the pieces may come together, but to look, when you look back now at, at the different, you know, life events, how wonderful it is that you've been able to be where you are today through perhaps some of the no's. When one door closes, another one opens up. And sometimes in that moment, we don't know why, but to just have that belief, have that amun, have that betochen that, you know, God's got our back, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. He's, he's the master plan here. Um, but I actually, I actually have a song about that. That, uh, but of course, you someday do. a singer will sing. <laughs> it's, it's you know, a song that's that, you know? a song that isn't out yet, but it's uh, oh, okay. So that's but it's written, it has a melody, and I'm not sure which singer is you know is the right one for it, but hopefully, one will turn up. <laughs> Miriam, I have a so that's a beautiful segue to my to a question that I have for you, which is when you write a song, is it do you have when you write it, do you have a certain singer in mind or do you just put it out there and say, whoever jumps on it gets it? So again, um, you know, lately when I write, I, I don't even bother usually with the, the melody. When I'm, when, talking about, when I'm talking about, I have a song, I'm talking about something from, from years ago and, and it, it comes complete with the melody. Um, when I write, if, I, if, I, if I'm right, most of the time I write because somebody asked me for a song. You're commissioned if to write I'm a song. Just, yeah, I'm commissioned to write a song. If I'm just writing because like, oh, wow, it just came to me. Like I just had inspiration. Uh, then no, then I just, I, I'm just writing. And then I, I put it out there. Um, and then whoever picks up on it, uh, you know, I, I pitched uh, Mahar actually to several different uh, singers, producers. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because actually I had two songs and I had sent them to a producer. I don't even remember who it was. And he said, you know, I would take the, you know, the, the verse from this song and the chorus from that song, and I would put them together. And that, that's what I did. And that's how the song Mahar came into being. And um, it was Mordecai Shapiro who, who picked up on it and created the, you know, the melody and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, that also, that, that, that boosted his career tremendously in, in a major way. That's, that's pretty wild. When you, when, when it comes to... Um, to, to writing songs, do you have a preference whether it's in Hebrew, Yiddish, or English? Um, there's something about Yiddish that makes it very, I don't know, easy to write. I don't know if it's because it's easy to rhyme, easier to rhyme in Yiddish or what the story. So there's something, or it's just the language that has somehow that Jewish authenticity. And it was your first um, language as well, correct? It was my first language until I was, I think, about, you know, seven. That was the only language I spoke when I started going to school and I learned English. Mm. Um, however, definitely my command of vocabulary is, is far greater in English than in any other language. So ultimately, I have, you know, I, I can write, you know, something much more satisfying for me in English. Also, because I'm, I'm writing for, you know, mostly uh, singers who don't speak Hebrew, when I'm writing in English, I can, they basically let me write whatever I want. When I'm writing in Hebrew, uh, I have to, you know, pick and choose what I can, you know, what I can write. So I think ultimately it's the most satisfying for me to write in English. It's incredible. And I do want to give credit to just like in general, just take a moment to say how, how wonderful it is to speak with you. You have such a beautiful poise to yourself and you articulate your words in such a beautiful manner. And it's, it's really, you. I guess you, 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 you've mentioned how, how, you love writing, you know, your, your, your lyrics do tend to be poetic and, and you, I find, I find at least me here talking to you that your way of talking and, and communicating is, is quite, quite poetic as well. So it's, it's really quite amazing for someone who yeah. spoke Yiddish for the first seven years of her life. Um, besides not having much of an accent, I would never have known. Uh, you ha you really facilitate. Yeah, well, it's, it's been a long time ago. And I've read, and also like we used to read a lot. It was, it was in the days where 
you could go to the Brooklyn Public Library to the Children's Library and basically pick out any book and it was fine. Those days are over. Mm. But we used to go to the Brooklyn Public Library every Friday and we were allowed to take out uh, 10 hardcover books and four paperbacks. And that is what I would do. <laughs> wow. um, I lived on 17th and 54th and the, the Brooklyn Public Library was on 17th and 60th. So we walked those six blocks uh, carrying our books. And, you know, wow. that was every week for years and years. So that really made a difference. Any favorite? Um, I have to any, tell you another cute story. Yes, please. Any favorite one? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you any favorite, uh, any favorite. It comes to any favorite books from your childhood that stand out. Books from my childhood that stand out. Um, I don't know. I, I don't recall at this moment. I, I liked. I enjoyed fantasy, uh, fantasy very much. That was like my favorite. I really liked. Uh, I really enjoyed fantasy. Um, you know. So, but my favorite fantasy, of course, came in. When I was an adult, and that was Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, of course. Which, uh, which I, which I read um, without knowing that there was this Harry Potter fad and whatever. I just found the book lying around. I had just actually given birth to my sixth child. That was the child that ultimately passed away. And you know, after birth, there was a book hanging around there, and I picked it up and I read it because that's what I do with books, right? Hmm. And I walked around the house saying, "Did I, did, I, did anyone read this book? Did anyone read this book? Did you read this book?" Um, so yeah, you know, I'm a real fantasy fan. Um, anyway, um, so when I was um, 11 years old, uh, I was in sixth grade. We had a superb English teacher. Uh, her name at the time was, uh, Miss Schwartz, Perry Schwartz. She subsequently got married. Um, and her name is now, um, Hecht, Perry Hecht. Uh, awesome. and she taught us a unit on, uh, yeah, well, that was, you know, when I was in sixth grade. So. <laughs> My first time hearing it, so I always, always find a good excuse to always say Mazel Tov, you know? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we, we, she taught us a unit on poetry, and, and she taught it on a, really, on, a, on a level that, you know, it was, it was really amazing. I think that she did that with the sixth grade, with the understanding of, of poetry. I still, remember our, I still remember what she taught. I remember the first poem she taught was Casey at the Bat. Um, for all of those, you know, literary buffs, Mighty Casey has struck out, you know, it's like, I'll never forget it. And she taught us Robert Frost, you know, if you can remember, you know, when you're in your 50s, what you learned in literature when you were 11, that, that's pretty impressive, you know, for a teacher. Uh, and, and after we had uh, completed that unit, she, she gave us an assignment to write a poem. And, um, and I remember feeling very stuck as to what I should write about. And I have that until today. That's, that's, you know, once I know what to write about, I'm great. Like sometimes when producers or, or singers come to me and they say, well, we have a song, so can you write words for us? I'm like, what do you want to write about? Tell me what you want to write about. And they want me to come up with a concept. And I always have, I always have trouble with that. So I couldn't come up with a concept. So I decided to write about a girl who didn't have an idea for a poem. And I wrote my poem and I, I thought it was terribly, terribly unoriginal. And, and, and girls were reading all these one girl had a poem about being a dumpling in the soup. And I said, my, she's so creative. And my poem is so silly. Uh, and, and then um, my teacher read my poem and she was so impressed with it that she told me to go read it to the principal. Wow. And I remember like looking at her and, and I went to the principal and I, I think subconsciously what I, what I thought as an 11 year old was, wow, I'm good at this. And that was really when I began writing. Um, you know, throughout the next two years, I was constantly on the lookout for inspiration and I was writing poems. No, no melody yet. That started when I was in ninth grade, but I was writing, you know, poems throughout, uh, you know, seventh and eighth grade. And it was all because of, um, because of Perry Hecht. Wow. And um, a few years ago, actually, I was interviewed for a column in a newspaper here in, in Israel that, um, that, that interviews like well-known figures and, and asks them, is there anyone in your past that you've lost touch with and would like to hook up with again? So um, I actually mentioned this teacher and then part of the assignment of that interview was actually uh, to look her up. You know, she, the, the interviewer interviewed me and she interviewed the teacher and then I was supposed to look her up, which I did. And so we hooked up again and and every time I go to New York, we meet, and um, and and you know, many times when I when a song of mine comes out, I send it to her and I say, "Here, you see, this one's because of you, and this one, they're all because of you. You started me down that path." That is so, so special. That's so special. How beautiful that is, and that's how a powerful. Message for all the teachers and, and and all the parents and and anyone, if you know, if you see a talent, you know, just 
you know, encourage it and, and say something because you never know where that person is, is going to take it eventually. That is such a powerful and beautiful lesson to share how one person can truly change a, a, a child's, a student's life, give them the confidence that they need to pursue and to like nurture that passion that they have, that gift. I do want to jump back into the, in some of the questions I, I wanted to ask you, which one of which is, how do you know when a song is ready? You know, I'm sure as an artist, I know for myself, I could fall into perfectionism and keep going back and back and trying to make something perfect the way I envision it. Is there, is there a time when you just know, okay, this is it. Ah, it's ready to be, to be passed on. Or is there, do you always feel like a song could always be a bit more worked on? Uh, so again, if I'm writing, you know, just, I, there's no one, if I'm my own taskmaster, um, you know, so, I, you know, there are those lines that I say, wow, they're perfect that, you know, and then there are lines that I say, okay, that, that's all right. But if I would have a different line instead of it, it would be fine. But, you know, at some point, again, if, usually if I'm writing, so it's with a melody when at some point when everything is filled in and it's, it's pretty much okay, I'll decide, you know, I suppose it's never really perfect. If I'm, if I'm working with someone who commissioned the song, uh, they, then basically they decide if it's ready. Mm. What does your process look like when it comes, when you have a song, you, you've, been, you've been asked, you've been commissioned, hired to create a, a, the next Jewish hit. What's your process look like? Do you stroll around the park? Do you wake up? Are you very disciplined around it? Do you, or do you allow inspiration to flow? What's that look like for you? Uh, so, first of all, yes, about writing the next Jewish hit. You know, in the beginning, it used to be, um, you know, for a, for a while, people would call me and say, we want another Yesh Tikva. Oh, <laughs> that was like, yeah. And that was very frustrating because there's no such thing as another Yesh Tikva. You, you can't do that, you know? Um, so by now, you know, there, there have been a lot of songs. So, you know, people aren't saying a specific song, but they do say it. They do sometimes say, you know, they want a hit. And I always say, I can, I can uh, you know, I can commit to writing a song. I can commit to doing my best, you know, to writing the best song I can. I cannot commit to writing a hit because I have no idea what's going to be a hit. I have absolutely no control over that. That's, that is totally from above. And, um, you know, and I've seen that time and time again. When I wrote Ima Tzagidili so many years ago, I actually thought it was a terrible song. It was very difficult for me to write. Um, you were talking about inspiration. I had absolutely no inspiration. I wrote it line by line, word by painstaking word. It was, you know, kind of like, you know, hard labor where the baby's just not coming out, you know? And when I kind of, kind of like, I finished it, like it was all filled in, it, all the blanks were filled in, but I thought it was terrible. And that was the biggest mistake I ever made because over 30 years later, that song is still sung throughout the world, um, which basically, you know, it means that it has had a very, very long, it's, it's longevity is, 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 is incredible. So, so I certainly can't commit to writing a hit. Um, and, you know, it, I used to, when I was composing, uh, I used to do it as I was, you know, doing other things. And then even when I was writing, sometimes I used to like walk around with the song in my head. And, I, you know, one of the songs that I had to work really, really hard on because my taskmaster was Benny Friedman and he was, not compromising, um, uh -huh. that was Ivry and Elfie. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that was, you know, the first part, the Hebrew lyrics. I, I did, I, I think I must have done like 30 rewrites. Wow. Um, he was being really, really, really hard on me. Benny, huh? Um, that song is quite... Yeah. Um, so what does that, so what does that look like, Miriam, for you? Yeah. Is that you sitting by a table with a hot cup of tea and just writing out lyrics? Is it, are you strolling in the park? What, how do you stir your creativity? Yeah. So, so that's what I was, so it used to be that like, even like, you know, I would do it like while I was doing other things. So the reason I mentioned every enough, because really the final version came to me while I was doing my grocery shopping, I was literally in the grocery <laughs> and, you know, the song was rolling around in my head and, uh, you know, that's how it happened. I find that lately, I don't know. I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm getting older or I'm whatever, but I'm getting not as good as multitasking. And I prefer to just, you know, sit down and, and, and write. Um, so, you know, lately when it's, you know, we're like a little bit, you know, kind of locked down. So mostly it's at home. Um, very often actually it's in the evening. So I just actually do like just get into bed and, and write in bed and, and like, it's odd that I can, you know, pursue my profession while I'm, you know, 
lying in bed. Um, but I'll also take times like, you know, quiet time, for instance, if I'm, um, if I'm going somewhere like on, on the bus, I'll take the time on, on the bus that's like dead time uh, to write waiting time. I often use if I'm waiting for an appointment, uh, I'll often use that time to, uh, to write. Wow, that's that's quite amazing. It's it's so, you're still on the move. It's not like you're locking yourself up in a cabin near the woods. Uh, and 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 beyond that, as we mentioned earlier on in, the, in this podcast, I mean, you you do have, you know, Baruch Hashem, a, a house full of kids as well, which you're tending to. That's right. As we speak. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the phone. Yeah, we all have the phone in 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 our you know in our lives. <laughs> A hundred percent as yeah, totally. And that's as a testament to like too much, how, too much, too much of it. <laughs> how yeah. busy your life can be, but yet you find time to, to, and I have a song about that. I, I, I wrote a song in 2008. I, I wrote it about cell phones, a satire, a satire about, you know, how cell phones are, you know, really counterproductive as far as, you know, connecting. <laughs> uh, that was before we had smartphones. So, uh, you know, that's, that's only it's, time, it's time for a rewrite then. It's time for for a rewrite. Yeah, um, actually, I did I did write a song in Hebrew about about that. It was uh, actually you know it, uh, it was at the behest of Tzvi Silverstein, but he never not, nothing ever happened with it. It was a song in Hebrew about the effect of the ubiquitous screens in our lives. Uh, it's still waiting. Uh, I still have those lyrics waiting for a, a singer that's uh, that's that's brave enough to take them. Ooh, okay. Well, you know, the singers are a big fan of the podcast, so perhaps one of them will be jumping on uh, as soon as they hear this. Uh, Miriam, is there an artist that you haven't worked with worked with yet, but you would love to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still have not worked with the two, you know, original kings of Jewish music, um, and that's Avram Fried and MVD. Mm. So, uh, you know, so there's that. I, I would like to branch out... Um, also to some of the, uh, the secular singers here, here in Israel who are singing a very, very Jewish content, you know, like Shlomi Shabbat has a song, Enod Milvado, and, um, and, and Eyal Golan sings, uh, and Sarit Chadar, and, you know, a lot of them are, are, are singing really very, very Jewish content. Uh, so I would love to branch out and, and, and reach a larger segment of, of the of the Jewish population. For me, you know, the, the dream come true for me is, is not it's not about um, it's not about being famous or, or being successful. It, it never was. And, you know, sometimes uh, young people or not so young people uh, they contact me and they say, how can I get to the big singers and how can I get to? And I always tell them, you know, that's that that that's not really that's not valid if what you're dreaming of is fame and fortune. Because fame and fortune are not a dream. They're, they're, a, they're, they're a, a desire, but they're not a dream. They're not a passion. My dream was to, to, to spread my songs, excuse me, to spread my songs throughout the world, people to sing my songs. That was always the dream, for people to sing my songs. Um, and the dream come true for me is that all over the world, um, Jewish people are uniting in, with the same music. I mean, I've written for singers from, from you know, different countries in Europe, you know, um, in, in South America, uh, and, um, you know, and of course in, 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 in the States and Israel, and that's amazing. So for me to be able to reach also the secular crowd, but with Jewish, yeah, they're still Jewish. So for me to be able to connect with them as well through music that is essentially Jewish and connect to their, to their neshama, that would be, that would be amazing. Mm. That's amazing. You you mentioned this drive that you have, right? Once at, you you hit certain goals and you want to keep on going, you've you've created quite a few hits now in 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 the, in the Jewish world. Your your songs are known throughout the world. What's what do you feel like is the next step for you? Um. So I guess you know the next step would be really I think to branch out to the secular market. You know that's something I would love to do. And to connect in that way, and then there are also things that I, I never did because I was so busy with you know raising a family and you know teaching for many years and working in music, which is developing my own music. I, I still very much would like to uh, to learn how to play. I've always wanted to play piano, 
Um, so in, in the meantime, what I'm doing, I, uh, there's a music school that I was uh, directing the choir in, this you know, children's choir, but this year I'm not doing it because of Corona and other you know, reasons. Um, but I am studying the music theory and ear development. So, so, and really I always wanted to study music. I would have loved to just, you know, get a degree in music even and to understand. Wow. So, so part of my dream is now is, is turning inward. In other words, I would like to study music for myself to, to do those things that I, I've never done. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. Always, always a student, always learning. That's, that's quite inspiring. And, for those who are yeah, it's, it's actually very entertaining. I, I started, we started the, the year yesterday, the semester. We started late because of COVID lockdowns. So it only became legal yesterday. So I'm, I'm sitting in this, uh, you know, class with about like, you know, you know, 10 or so students who are, um, I would say on the average, you know, at least 30 years younger than me, maybe more. And then at some point we, and then we all introduce ourselves and we say our names. And, and, you know, then I say, I'm Israeli. And then they look at me and they say, oh, there's another member Israeli, you know, the one that writes songs for all the famous singers. And <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's very amusing. It happens every single time. Oh, you know, one so of the girls yesterday, she says, oh, wow, I'm going to say that I'm in a class with my Israeli. <laughs> That's, you know, that's, she's about you know eighteen sure. and fifty four, <laughs> so it's a little bit like Rabbi Akiva, but yeah, that's and Mary Akiva, and boy, did he did he leave his mark? So you're just getting started, uh, Miriam. That's for sure. There's um, do you do you appreciate this i this this ability to be able to walk amongst the street, not necessarily. Uh, be, and maybe you do actually now because you're, you're more well known, but being stopped by selfies and st- for autographs and whatnot, you have such a big impact in the world, but yet you're able to live a life which is a bit more filled with privacy. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's when I want to be private, I can be, pri- I can be private. Um, and that's the advantage also of being a woman because, you know, because I, I'm, not, I'm not seen. And, you know, like children, they say should, you know, <laughs> should be seen and not heard, but I'm heard and not seen. <laughs> um so uh so yeah that's uh that's definitely like i can be private and when i want to and i don't have you know any paparazzi or people uh, you know lining up to whatever I, I think also like even when people meet me like i i, I don't you know yeah so there's a little bit of this you know whatever hero worship kind of, but, but but not too much of it because i think that you know i, I hope that my manner doesn't encourage it so because I don't know, to me, it's, it's, it's not real. Like, you know, being now like quote unquote among the stars and, you know, and and knowing all the people that are like the big stars, I know that they're really just really, really nice people. They're also very talented, but they're really, they're really nice people. None of them is, I I, I don't know what it's like in the secular world, but in our world, the people I work with, whether it's it's Yaakov or Mordechai or, or, or Yitzhi Walden was enormously talented, and, or Benny, everyone, they're just really nice people. And, you know, so we're, we are all just people, whether we are famous or not famous, we're still just people. Do you have any uh, two tips, three tips to someone who would like to break into this industry, someone who wants to have their songs heard? What are a few steps or a few a mindset or two that could help them start and reach their goal? Um, well, the technical tips, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really have, you know, I don't have any, you know, formal uh, music education. I'm just starting that now. Yeah. It was only, you know, and I'm only now starting to understand what I, what I actually have been doing. I remember going for guitar lessons once and saying, I hear this in my head. And the guitar teacher said, oh, you hear a descending bass. I'm like, oh, really? And then I said, and here I hear that. She says, oh, you're hearing a diminished. So like I was hearing things in my head. I had no idea what they were. So like, on a musical level, I can't really say because I don't have that formal, you know, musical education. Um, for someone who wants to 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 break into the field of, of singing, which is you know something that I'm I'm heavily involved in, I, I I've sung in, in concerts throughout the world, and I still hope to get to places where I haven't been yet. Um, so I would say if you have a, a good voice and a good musical ear, um, go study voice. In other words. Don't 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 do without it. Even if even if you're really good, you have great natural talent. Study, you will progress faster, maybe. But it, you can definitely hear the difference between a voice that is trained and and a voice that is not. So training is, I would say, mm-hmm. essential. 
um, for someone who wants to break into the field of like producing Jewish music, I, I don't know. It's it's a difficult industry. In, if you don't have a track record, <coughs> it's a little bit like those firms who say that we don't hire without experience. But how are we going to get experience if nobody's hiring? So I would say to to write music and and do whatever is available. In other words. Make your own opportunities. Don't wait for someone to find you because you might wait forever. So, you know, that's, and that's what I did. I, I, I wrote for schools, I wrote for camps. Um, a, you know, I, 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 and I put myself out there. I would tell people, you know, I do camp songs, I do this, I do that, I do geo songs. Uh, I open my choir, you know, there, there, there may be different opportunities that are waiting in whatever, you know, area the person is. And you know, to find those windows and not to get hung up on, I only want this and this, because that may or may not come. Mm, I love that. If opportunity does not knock, create the door. You know, create your own luck, make it happen, get creative. If you really like it, make yeah. It happen. And also, I think that um, I think that uh, you know, this story about the famous violinist. Not sure which one. Maybe it was Perlman who. Um, a young uh, a young violinist came to him to, to kind of to see if he, how talented he is, and he played for for Perlman. Again, I don't know if it was Perlman, but I'm just using him. And uh, he said to him, um, "Oh wow, you're really talented." So they, this young uh, student said to him, "Oh, so do you think it's a wor- worthwhile for me to pursue it?" And Perlman said to him, um, "No, no, I don't think so." And the guy left music and he went into business or whatever it is. Years later, he met Perlman again and Perlman said, oh, I remember you, you were immensely talented. And, and this now businessman said to him, so why did you tell me that it wasn't worthwhile for me to pursue it? He said, because you asked the question. Ah. So, so, so if you're saying, well, I want to go into music, but really what's in my, what really what I see is, is billboards and dollar signs, then, then, that's, not, then that's not the thing because you might be very, very frustrated. If you want to do music, because you want to do music, do it. Whatever will come, will come. But music should be its own, its own goal. Mm. Wow, Miriam. That's, uh, I think, a wonderful note to, to conclude this podcast for now. But before we do, I do want to ask you the question that I asked many of my guests, which is, what is a great day for you? What is a great day for me? Um, I think a great day for me is, you know, there, there's two kinds of great days. There's a, there's a great day that, that, um, that I had to deal with a challenge and that I dealt with it successfully, <laughs> you know, so there's that. And then there's a great day that I didn't have to deal with a challenge and it was just a day that was satisfying that I did something that, that makes me feel happy inside, like, for instance, getting together with, with friends, um, you know, or, or doing something in, in, in music that is for my own, for my own self, like yesterday when I went to music class. Um, so those are my two kinds of great days. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Miriam Israeli, thank you so much for your time. Is there a way that people can connect with you, reach out to you, follow uh, the work that you're up to? Um, I'm not sure what that means. I don't have, I don't do Instagram and Facebook. And, I love and all, it. I love it. All those things. <laughs> that is the classic, you know, it's a classic, you know, it's a classic way. One of the classic ways of ending a podcast, you know, you, people want to sort of promote themselves and just let people know where they're, where they're promoting a book or they're promoting, you know, following them on Instagram and Facebook. Like here you are, you're having such incredible impact, but you're doing it in ways that, you know, they're, they're not through the, perhaps the most, the, the most mainstream ways of doing so. So you don't have any of those platforms at all, huh? Well, I've never, I'm not mainstream in any form or fashion. Like it's just something very not mainstream in, 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 I don't know, in the way my brain was created. So, um, um, but really, really my dream is, you know, for, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, female listeners or, or, or male producers that are working with female audiences, but really my dream is to, to meet more and more Jewish communities in person. There are so many communities in the United States that I haven't, I haven't seen anywhere where my music is sung, where people are singing, uh, what today is the you know Jewish music where people are singing Mam and Benisim or Mukhanim or Yeshivah or Machar or Eino Milvado. I'd like to get there and sing. Well, uh, post COVID. Yeah, when the when the world does a little more healing, absolutely, Amira, you have an incredible story and 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 backing that besides the talent, uh, such a beautiful depth to you. And thank you so much for sharing 
your personal journey as well as your wisdom and your gift with me today with the I listeners. Have one, and I have one final, I have one final note. Uh, you Please. Know, on that, you know, I said I want to meet a different, a different community. So really my, my final message is really, I hope that it will be, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a new era that hopefully we'll soon usher in. And that's the, uh, we want Mashiach now. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. Have a great day. A great night. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so, so much for listening and tuning into this podcast episode. And I want to thank Miriam Israeli for making the time to connect with me today all the way across the world and sharing her story and her wisdom. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. It goes a long, long way. And I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through social media or commenting and rating on the podcast, your support means so much to me and I really truly appreciate it so thank you so much and like I always say stay positive be happy I'm Mayor Kay and have a great day